and welcome back to the More Mando Show, the podcast that brings you more Mando. After the show, I'm one of your hosts, Clayton, joined as always by, is that a Jedi? Corbin. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, <laughs> especially <laughs> after watching this finale of season two a couple times. I have watched it twice. The first time I watched it, I was watching it at my desk on my phone, and I accidentally squealed at one point and realized I can't be squealing while I'm at work because everyone's like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, nothing, leave me alone. Yeah. I was also at work when I watched it the first time. Luckily, I'm the only one in my office. And oh, lucky. I, when the X-Wing came in, I jumped up and my chair went flying. I said, is this Luke? Is this that Luke? Was, that was my thing. I was like, okay. Careful, Corbin. Careful. You don't know. And then I was like, "What's the lightsaber color?" And I'm pr- I'm like ninety five percent sure the first time you see it is on a black and white monitor. Yep, and it like, is. You sly little yep. dogs! How dare you? I was like, "That looks like Luke's cape." Is it a green lightsaber? Is it? it it's gr- that's Luke. That's Luke. And then I yeah. said to myself, "Hmm, it's a shame that I don't like set up secret cameras to record my own reactions." <laughs> <laughs> because this would probably make an interesting reaction video. Yeah, I was just like hyperventilating. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what an episode. Uh, before we get too far into it, we are discussing the season two finale, chapter 16, The Rescue. This is a 47 minute uh, episode. It was directed by Peyton Reed, written as all the other episodes besides. The one with, a, excuse me, the one with Ahsoka in it by no, John Favreau. The one with um, Bill Burr, the last one, was written by the director of that one. Oh, which I don't know who the, I, I can't say the name. It's a it's a different it's a different kind of name. You know, now that you say that, I don't think we brought that up in last week's episode, and that may be why I didn't know that. So I apologize. Dang, I didn't think to bring it up in the episode, but I did remember on the credits. I was like, who wrote this one? I was like, oh, the director wrote this one. That's different. Yeah. Normally we talk about, or I, normally I'll mention the director and writer at the beginning, but I don't think I did last week, so <laughs> dang, I dropped the ball. Anyways, oh, well. um, so yeah, we jump right into it. Um, Jay, or, <laughs> <laughs> not Django. I wasn't all about the same. To, I wasn't about to say Django. Django Rex. I mean, come on, Cody. <laughs> They're Boba, all the same. Boba Fett is flying his Slave One through space, chasing down a Imperial shuttle, and Doctor Pershing is on this shuttle, and we get to see a little bit more on Slave One in this. I thought we could take a minute to maybe talk about that. If you had thoughts, um, we see him use an ion cannon, which is dope to see um, an ion cannon. We haven't seen ion cannons used in a long time. Um, actually, do we even see ion cannons in Return of the Jedi? I think I don't we. Know if we do. I think we only see them in Empire. Hmm. Anyways, it was cool to see an ion cannon. Um, and it just shows off more of like Slave One is just a Swiss knife of goodness for Star Wars. <laughs> um, they. Capture Pershing, who we never see again in this episode, and I guess we can talk about this at some point if we need yeah, to. Yeah, maybe we should save actually, this for unanswered it took the questions. Second time, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Maybe. Cause at the end it was on my second viewing that I honestly forgot about it. And that was, as I was watching it the second time and we're like seeing Dr. Pershing, I was like, Oh yeah, we never get any resolution as to where this man is. Yeah. But there's a couple resolutions that we don't get in this episode. Yeah. There's definitely some so, questions to be answered. So we'll leave that dangle there and maybe we'll, cause we're doing a follow-up episode where we discuss the entire season questions we still have thoughts that we have theories going forward so that's probably a better place to talk about right. all of that but we do want to note that pershing is in this intro of this episode and then that's it boy gone because they use the shuttle they even use the shuttle to board so like where is this man <laughs> where did he go maybe he's just like tied and gagged at the back at the back of slave one could be yeah so anyways, uh, Pershing gives him some uh, info, kind of showing that he's not like, a he's definitely not a diehard Empire guy. He's just a doctor and a scientist, and he really kind of, I get the impression that he doesn't even really like the Empire. He just happens but to. But he likes this kid, or the potential of this kid. It's very right. strange. Yeah, it's it's definitely strange. Strange. Strange man. But he's not shy and uh, helping these guys plan out their attack so they nab Bo-Katan and her little right hand lady who I can't remember the name of the guy is gone the guy is off doing who knows what we don't know he's gone another open question where's this man he's getting his own show (laughs) yeah just like (laughs) everybody else everybody's getting their own show um we get Bo-Katan uh telling Boba to his face you're not a Mandalorian and you're a disgrace to that armor. Um, at first, I was like, "So, what?" Because we I feel like we just retconned this kind of, and now, so I'm gonna settle on she's referring to him as not a Mandalorian because he's a clone. I was gonna say either that or Django did something in particular when he turned his back on Mandalore. That it's like he's like exiled. And yeah. it's more of like, since here's the thing about Mandalorian, the, my, my real world tether that I have to it, and I hope that this is received as well, as good intention as I mean it, but to be Mandalorian is like Jewish. There's Judaism, the religion, and there's Jewish, the like race of man. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there, there's two different things going on with Mandalorian, that you can be Mandalorian and not be Jewish. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like Django was someone who practiced Judaism but wasn't born on Mandalore and turned his back on it. So they're like, yeah, you're neither. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could be. I get what you're saying. I don't so. know. I'm trying to justify the the very unanswered ambiguity of what is going on with the yeah. Fets. Yeah, if you start really digging into the Fet situation, it's super muddy right now. And we need answers, which maybe we'll get. And we'll get to that at what cost. Yeah, we'll get to that too. <laughs> so uh, Fett doesn't shy down from a fight. Uh, real quick, I do want to make note, when Din and Boba Fett walk into the bar and they scan the patronage for Bo-Katan, the way they scan in unison and in the same pace is just amazing. <laughs> that was cool. I was... Uh, all of the exaggerated how, swagger <laughs> I was tickled by how everyone just like 
up and booked it. Like, yeah. oh, we gotta get out of here. Everybody bounced <laughs> real quick. Uh, so Bo-Katan's right-hand lady and Boba Fett kind of show off by fighting each other for a minute. And then they make a plan and they go attack Moff Gideon's shuttle. Right. Um, lots of cool action. Uh, we see more of Slave One um, with his blasters like going behind him and shooting the TIE fighters down pretty easily. We get to see he, Moff's intelligence because he's like, mm, this doesn't feel right. Yeah, Moff knows immediately that something's off. He doesn't let the shuttle land. Um, he launches fighters instead, so they kind of have to crash it instead of just landing. Um, they storm the ship and take it over pretty easily. Um, this show really shows off that when you get high-level like characters and you put them in a room with stormtroopers, they just get destroyed. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> just utterly destroyed. And I guess you could argue that Gideon wasted a lot of his troops on Tython. Because there were a ton true of too. troopers that died there. So. Because the Dr. Pershing did make the point to say that they're underestimating, they're underestimated uh, troop levels because they weren't accounting for the dark troopers. So, yeah, they kind of knew that it was going to be easy breezy. Yeah. So they uh, make their way and take up to the bridge and they take it over. And then Din is sneaking in behind all the wreckage. His main goal is to neutralize the dark trooper rim and find the kid. So we see him find the dark troopers and he ends up having to fight one, which takes all of his tools to defeat. He ends up right. killing it with the Beskar spear, which was super awesome. But it showed in one scene, one sequence, how feared these things are. Like how fearsome, sorry, these things are. They did everything he did, even the uh, his wrist rockets did mm-hmm. nothing. Like just kind of knocked him around. So, but he was able to spear its neck and take its head off with the Beskar spear. Yeah. Right around that time, we'd also got a really, I thought was a cool, like girl power moment where I was like, this had like a way better payoff than the Marvel moment on Endgame, where you had Bo-Katan or girl, you had Fennec and oh, yeah. Ara Dune, like just whooping ass. Oh, I didn't even realize that's, that's how you know it's a good moment. Right. When it's not it's thrown not so in your like, flipping face. In your face. But like, <laughs> there's a moment where, like, Cara Dune, like, kind of turned around and, like, smirked at him on. And I was like, you go, girls. You go. <laughs> uh, speaking of Cara Dune, we get another instance of a blaster jamming in this episode when her giant machine gun blaster jams and she has to use it as a club. And then she cavemans the crap out of it to make it work again, banging it on the floor and stuff. She can't help herself. She needs that unreliable weapon. Yep. And we get the final dank Farrick of the season while she's doing that too. She Bad says days. something else too that I, could, I couldn't catch. I tried to catch it the second time I watched it, but she says oh, something right. else like smug slime it's or something in a smoke. skunk pie. Yeah, skunk something. Pie or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Some other Star Wars curse word. Some sort of ism. Yep. <laughs> um... So then we have the big face to face, which is probably where we start wanting to dive into some s- serious talk. Gideon 
and Din meet face to face. Gideon is not on the bridge. He is in the cell with the kid, with the child, with Groku. And he's got the Darksaber on him. And they just have chat. Gideon, in this episode, I actually made a note here. He makes a point to talk to Din the entire time. So if you go back and you, even when they take him to the bridge, he's telling Din what's happening. Bo-Katan wants to fight you. Tell him, tell him what's really going on. Gideon's focus is Din. Even when uh, Luke is coming up, killing the dark troopers, and Gideon says, you have a uh, an impressive fire team here, but in a minute, me and the child are going to be the only ones alive. He's talking directly to Din. So I thought that yeah. was extremely interesting that, that they've got this bad guy, good guy like Link now. Like Gideon is focused on Din. He doesn't, I mean, he cares that Bo-Katan is there, but not that much. Like he is honed in right. to Din for some reason. And I think that that may be significant at some point because he knows all about Din, as we recall from season one. Yeah. So. I agree. And also his fight with Gideon. Uh, I have to eat my words, Clayton. The spear's kind of dope. Spear's super dope. I also really loved how the spear would get red hot when mm-hmm. the dark saber was on. Just like those little details where I was like, ah, can't we talk to Hal about it? Yeah, super cool. So pure Beskar cannot be cut by a lightsaber, but in theory, it could heat up so much that the integrity is lost. Yeah. So, and we see that play out in the fight because we he blocks for a while, it gets like super red hot, and then like that's when he has to make his move, like to switch up the stance because the spear is super hot. And Din in this fight, man, was so awesome. He was not afraid to use his entire armor set to block and make moves. And he flipped that spear around like he's never used anything else. It's true. It was was so so awesome. (laughs) Um, So he is able to defeat Gideon. And he completes the first step to my big boy prediction. He takes the Darksaber via combat. Right. And he doesn't realize what he's doing at the time, but it's shortly revealed thereafter that, hey, nope. That's yours now. They have yeah. to take it from you. And this interaction, him doing this, which caused an interaction with Bo-Katan, did something for me that I thought was fun in terms of writing and perspectives. And it was kind of similar to the last episode where Tim brought up how um, because of our focal point with the heroes, we became relieved, right? When we saw the Empire save them from the pirates, when in actuality, the pirates are freedom fighters they're fighting for their freedom but because mm-hmm. they're affecting our protagonists we're like eh, get out of here bo katan is someone in all the previous shows that we've watched we have some sort of attachment to and we understand where she's coming from but now that her mission is now going against the grain and possibly making our beloved hero an adversary and now becomes like a well you're kind of a skadoosh what are you doing like I don't like you anymore. It's just interesting to like have that, per- that perspective flipped mm-hmm. where before I was like, I saw her as an ally and now I'm like, Oh, I don't trust her anymore. Well, yeah, she is 
in all other iterations has been a good guy helping our characters. And now it's going to be the other way around. She is going to be wanting that Darksaber. She is and it's also be... interesting because we, uh, you could argue that we've spent more time with her than we have Den, but we're on the side of Den. We are on the side of Den. Yes. Um, so, of course, this all leads to, we kind of already talked about the interaction with Bogotan, Gideon, and Din in the um, bridge after Din beats him. He takes him to the bridge. Uh, we get a lot of background of the Darksaber and the Mandalorian, and I think this is for, it's important for people who've never watched Rebels to hear all this. It's stuff that we've talked about on this podcast. It's stuff that we've seen before. So it's not news to us, but it's news to Din. Um, right. There is a little bit of controversy. I'll go ahead and bring this up here. Uh, Sabine Wren. So the the dark saber being ha- taken through combat is like presented as do or die in this episode. Like Bo-Katan's like, I can't take that. Gideon's like, she can't take that. She has to beat you. But Bo-Katan actually got it by Sabine Wren just giving it to her. Yeah. So there's a little bit of controversy going on on the internet talking about how there's some inconsistency. So my thoughts on this are when Sabine gives it to Bo-Katan, it was after they had worked together to unite a few of the clans to kind of make a Mandalorian stand. And they kind of all decided that Bo-Katan deserved to be the leader like Sabine was never going to be the leader. And I think that it was acceptable for her to just hand it off to Bo-Katan because she was clearly everybody like wanted Bo-Katan. So that's how I think you can write that off. But now you can't do that again. She lost the dark saber. So Gideon says it in this episode, the dark saber is about the story. It's about what it means. <clears throat> so if right. she were to receive it again as a gift from someone else who earned it through combat, her holding it would mean nothing. So in order for that That's saber yeah. to mean something in her hands, she has to win it in combat. Yeah. So That's a good connection. 100%. So that's my argument to that situation. Um, so yeah, this is when we get the big twist, which is an X-Wing coming in. We talked about it briefly at the top, and it is indeed Luke flipping Skywalker. He makes quick which I had, work. I said in a previous episode, it, well, yeah, the action was amazing. Phenomenal. But it was nice to see that... Uh, uh, we had discussed in a previous podcast that the more macro ideas and concepts you introduce in this show, the harder it becomes to avoid Luke. Like it's just impossible if you want to, if you want to sell the idea that there's Din is intertwined in a larger story. Uh, and sure enough, yeah, in, here enters comes Luke. Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and I completely agree. Um, and I think my rebuttal has always been, well, we have all these other stories that, you know, they do mean something to the bigger galaxy as a whole. We have Cal's story. 
in uh, Jedi Fallen Order, we have Ezra and Kanan's story. They never ran into uh, Luke. They did run into Leia at one point. Um, but so now it's like, yes, you're right. When it gets to a certain point, they have to run into these characters. But now I'm wondering, what does that mean for these other side characters like Ezra, like Ahsoka, like Ahsoka still hasn't run into Luke for Cal. Yeah. You know, so I, I guess my thought is, does that mean that their stories aren't as meaningful because they haven't touched the main, main characters, the Skywalker characters at all. And does that mean that we're not going to get much more of them or what we get is always going to be like super side stories. Like obviously Ahsoka, we're getting way more, but like, it makes me wonder right. about Ezra and Cal's future. Like is Cal just always going to be stuck in video games and there's never going to be a bigger connection, but which would be a, a crying shame in my opinion. Cause yeah. uh, Cameron Montague is a phenomenal actor and That'd be so much fun to see him play in the the live action sandbox. Yeah. And of course, with Luke uh, coming in, uh, we have even bigger questions like, where is Grogu? (laughs) Where is he? Is he still at the temple when uh, it gets destroyed? When Kylo destroys it? eh, Kylo didn't destroy it. It was Palpatine. Oh, that's right. Snoke did. Yeah. Well, yeah, Snoke. Palpatine Snoke, potato tomato. (laughs) Yeah. And he kind of gets framed for it, but then like is convinced that it was destroyed because of him. So, but anyways. So yeah, there's a ton of questions opened up there. So yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The one thing that I do want to say is, um, one, it's refreshing to continuously see Jedi's portrayed as badasses. Awesome. Yes. And two, I bawled my eyes out when Grogu touched Pedro's face. It yeah. was such a touching moment. Well, let's go ahead and, and jump into that part. Those, I just think it's one of those things where uh, I have heard people complain about how often he's taken his helmet and stuff. But for me, all of that was building to this moment we need to see din be challenged with how how strong his convictions were to his idealism Mm -hmm. and as we continued to see that grogu meant more to him than his creed we needed to see that evolution for this payoff for this moment of grogu saying goodbye to him and him wanting Grogu to see his face and then realizing that when Grogu touches him, when was the last time something else touched his face? Mm -hmm. Like for Din, for Din, that is a powerful moment. Something that he cares about and loves is physically touching him. And that's something that he hasn't felt probably since he became a foundling. Yeah. And that alone is beautiful. Not just Grogu cooing and touching him. It's what it means to him as a character. Yeah. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um this season has been all about pushing his creed against his attachment to 
Grogu. We see it first with hints at it when he's lifting his helmet to eat um, in front of him. We see it come to kind of a bigger head whenever he's willing to take it off as long as his face is still covered. And then in desperation to save the kid, take the helmet off completely, even though it could risk being seen. And now finally I'm going to take it off with the intention of someone seeing it. So yeah, that was crazy powerful moment. So powerful Corbin that we are discussing this instead of nerding out about Luke's lightsaber battle for another five or 10 minutes. (laughs) I mean, that just goes to show how amazing this character is, how great this show is that when Luke freaking Skywalker spends five minutes obliterating dark troopers with his lightsaber, mirroring Darth Vader and Anakin movements through the hallway that we're talking more about the goodbye between Din and Grogu. Well, I was just talking right before we started the podcast when I was watching it for that second time that uh, just the implications of, J- of Din having the Darksaber is huge. It's huge. But it's so underplayed when compared to Din parting ways with Grogu. There's yeah. so much There's so much happening in this last act of this show, in the last 15, 10 minutes of this episode. But all that pales in comparison because we're having this goodbye moment between Grogu and Din. Yeah. And then it just ends. It just ends. We, we, don't know see, Bo, we don't we don't know if Bo Katan's dead. We don't no, know. No, she's standing up. I mean Yeah, because okay. when I watched it the second time, I was like, I need to eagle eye this because the first time I watched through I did I wasn't looking. So I was like, Well, last time we saw Bo Katan, she was on the ground after getting pummeled. But uh she is standing up when Luke walks in. Um so she is okay. But yeah, we get just a Pedro sad face and then an elevator closing. He doesn't, Bo, Din doesn't ask his name. Doesn't ask where he's going. He just leaves, bro. <laughs> he just leaves. Yeah, which in a scary way concerns me on, will we see Grogu? Like, I feel like we, we have to see Grogu again, right? Like, I feel like we have to, but there was no sort of like, where are you going? Who? What's your name? There was how can I, how can I get in contact with you in the future? The only thing we get is I will see you again. A That's promise it. from Din to Grogu, but and then of course in my head I'm like, well, it's so easy for people to find each other in Star Wars, so it's not like it's a huge deal. But <laughs> you just need some sort of uh, identity puck for a random Jedi and the Legion mm-hmm. straight to the planet. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Um, but then, uh, part of the tone of this, this talking back and forth that we're doing right now is because of the after credits scene, which we see Boba Fett and Fennec go into Jabba's palace, which has been taken over by Bid Farnak, I think is his name. (laughs) Who is a chonk boy. Boy has become Jabba himself. (laughs) Una Tanga Wanga. Yep. Tongue tub tubba wubba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Fennec comes in 
blasts and most people run. She takes down a couple people, frees the Twi'lek dancing slave. And then we see this is all in reminiscent uh, nostalgic callback to uh, Return of the Jedi when Luke first walks into the uh, palace. But instead of Luke, it's Boba Fett walking down the steps. And he sits on Jabba's throne. Fennec sits behind him and it pans out. And then we see text come up. The Book of Boba Fett coming December 21st. December 2021. So there's no official announcement on whether season three is going to be about Boba Fett or whether it's a spinoff show. Most outlets, as of recording this on, this is the Friday that it released, most outlets are saying this is a spinoff show. I did not take it this way. I went from super high and excited to down in the depths because I don't care about Boba Fett that much. The sacrifice den. Yeah. So that was my this, thing. It is, feels like a, this is going to be season three. It's Boba for, Fett. For me, the, the, uh, the idea of they wouldn't, re- they wouldn't talk about this investors days because of spoilers to me, that's not spoilery. We already knew that there were rumors of a Boba Fett show. Um, and I don't think anyone really was like going to die on a hill. Like Boba's going to die in the finale. So I don't think announcing that he was going to have a show is going to be a spoiler at all. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they would have done that. And all of the episodes are intentionally titled chapters for a reason. And there is an argument to be made that this finale was the last chapter in the book of Den for some time. And now we're going to go to the Mandalorian book of Boba Fett, which I also feel frustrated because the second time, the second time viewing this episode, all the badass moments with Boba, I didn't like. They've done a really good job at making me care about him. I was like, he's a badass. I do want to see more of him. But if it's at the cost of not having Den, mm-hmm. I don't give a dank Farrick at all. Like it, it's not worth it to me. Yeah, And something that I told you is I, I watched the actual investors meeting instead of just reading the articles about it. And Kathleen Kennedy had made mention in the uh, presentation that the purpose of all of the spinoff shows is to have all of them culminate to an event, whether that's a show or a movie, we don't know, but they're all leading towards a bigger sort of climax. And I, I told you off cast, I mean, I could, I could potentially see them, benching uh, Din for now. And maybe that Mandalore story is integral to whatever this climax is. And they're going to just focus on other chess pieces while they get everything into place. But I, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah, me either. I mean, when you, when I take a, a step back and look at it, there's probably only so far this story could go as far as Din searching for a Jedi. You're, you are always going to reach a point where you you find a Jedi or you give up. And when you find the Jedi, it's the intent is you have to go with him. So you go into this story kind of knowing there has to be an ending at some point. Yeah. Especially since we know where this story goes as far as we got the sequel trilogy, we have all these other media... So we know to some extent where the 
bigger picture is going to be. So we know that this has something has to happen. This has to end somehow. But when you so I say that to to say if we went in knowing okay, you're going to get this is a two season story about this character. Okay. Now it's not so bad. I know it's over. We've gone into this season knowing that season three was already being written, knowing that season three was going into pre-production, knowing that season three, for the most part, was still going to be released on time, and then knowing that season three is going to be released Christmas of 2021. And this is the biggest evidence in my mind that this book of Boba is going to be season three. They are. There is no way. No we're way. We're gonna have two shows, two three days apart. Shows releasing at the same time, like this. There's no way. There's no way. Nope. So, and then also, let me pick your brain about this, Clayton, because I cannot for the life of me figure out a compelling answer. What is Boba's motivation? He goes I have no in. Idea. He. Here's the thing. The way that Boba goes out, he should have no ill will against Jabba. So what has him on this war path of like, well, I'm going to take over his enterprise. Like he, he goofed on the job. That's how he died. Jabba didn't betray him. So the only thing I can think of is that nobody came looking for him. That's the only thing that would, that's immediately when you say that, that's immediately what comes to mind. Nobody came looking for him. I guess so he's holding a grudge. That's a pretty harsh grudge. When you fall into the Sarlacc pit, I mean, why would someone go looking for you? Yeah. And this also ties back to my earlier thoughts when we first saw him that I thought it was odd. And I think I brought this up after Tim said he thinks that Boba was going to betray them because Boba doesn't like adhere to like an honor code. It was weird. I said it was weird that he said, in almost a din jarin fashion, you know, we're going to be with you until the kid is safe because I gave you my word. Like that's not the Boba we know. Like, yeah. But also, now we, cool, now that we how, see the kind of more of the Boba we know, we don't understand why he's doing it. <laughs> also, how cool it'd been if we got to see Boba see Luke. <laughs> that would have been cool. I actually saw a meme. It's the meme template of the Umbrella Academy where uh, Five is driving by and uh, shoot, what um, uh, was her? Well, sorry. Um, Elliot Page's yeah, character. Yeah, Elliot Page's Vanya. character. Vanya. Vanya. Yeah, Vanya. So Five and Vanya are driving by and they're looking at each other and one says Luke Skywalker coming in as X-Wing and the other one says Boba Fett leaving <laughs> in his slave one. <laughs> That's a really good meme. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I don't um, know. There's... I don't know. I mean, we're, we're kind of already over on time, and we could keep talking about this. Um, the only two things I, I want to say is, one, it is cool that Mark Hamill got to voice Luke. I'm happy cool. about that. Two, if Luke has any larger prominence of a role, I do think they need to recast. And... I, it'll it'll be interesting just to get Hal's take on just like how they did the special effects because I also couldn't tell if it was a deep fake or if it was the traditional 
what Marvel's been doing, where it's like kind of like truly rebuilding the face. Because, but I just don't know if you it can had, sustain more than what that was. Yeah, it had to have been a deep fake because it wasn't Mark Hamill there. So it's not like they used the de aging process that they use on RDJ or, um, yeah, Hank Pym. So, uh, but that was my thing is like, it was, it was great to see Luke. It was almost like a redemption in a sense. Uh, it was super awesome that Mark Hamill got to voice him, but man, if, if Luke has any more screen time than that, I think you gotta have Sebastian Stan or someone coming into the role. Or we have to put more time and attention on the face. Yeah. Cause, uh, that's just unfortunate. That's unfortunately the sad truth of it for me. Yeah. It's like it was I mean, as a fan, I was like, yes, this is great. Mm-hmm. But also gotta approach it differently if he has more. Yep, exactly. I feel the same. I I thought it worked perfectly for what it was, but you can definitely tell it's a fake face. It doesn't look exactly like him. I mean it looks like him enough. Um that you I don't know, maybe I'm just too nitpicky, but um you're right, and they need to recast or do something significantly better if he's going to have more screen time. Cause here's my, the thing is one, there is two actors and Mark Hamill has publicly said that he'd be okay with. And one of them was Sebastian Stan. I forget what the other actor's name was, but I also would have been okay. And I'm sure that any actor like Sebastian Stan knowing um, the magnitude of importance of this character would be okay with this, but you could have even had Sebastian Stan being the stand in and Mark Hamill voice over it. Because at the end of the day, we're still having an on-set actor mouthing the lines and Mark Hamill voicing over it. So there's already a yeah a, a, a lip matching element, and we so already have just, we already have this precedent with Darth Maul. Um, yeah, where the the stunt double they did it in Han Solo, where yeah, the stunt Ray, double was Ray Park is Ray Park was the physical, the, yeah, and then Sam Witwer voiced did it. The voice. You didn't even notice it was seamless. Yeah. So you and if they that. ever do a Darth Maul show, which they didn't announce a Darth Maul show. <laughs> uh, You're right. That's That one's been rumored for longer than anything. Uh, anyways, that's not here nor there. You know that that's how it would be. You know, it would be the body and the voice would be two different things. So they need to be open to this kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, maybe in the follow-up episode, we can touch on more of the uh, different perspectives because we get that we totally skipped over it, but we get that shuttle pilot talking about how uh, he would want, he wanted to see the terrorism stopped and was talking about how millions were killed on both death stars. Right. Like that's, they got into some heavy stuff there for a second. Yeah, you're right. So, um, so maybe we should talk about that in a different one because that's a, I really, because we've mentioned it in the last podcast or the last episode's podcast, they've done a really good job of kind of showing that even though you're on the good guy's side, it's all about perspective sometimes. It's like, even though the Empire is considered the bad guys, the rebels literally killed millions of people. Right. They may have killed more people than were on Alderaan in both of those Death Stars, but they're considered the heroes. So, yeah, that's very true. Big, big boy, big boy thoughts right there. 
<laughs> All right. That does it, man. I guess the biggest takeaway before we officially sign off is that this episode was amazing. We hope we don't see the last of Din and the child. There is so much more story to tell. And if we don't see it, if we if we get more of this story in like a comic or a book or something, I'm going to be so frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Um, you had mentioned that we were going to do a follow-up episode uh, with Tim about lingering questions and stuff. Do you want to talk about our guests since that is like a for sure thing whenever we can do it? Uh, yeah, it's official. I mean, it's official when he can legally do it, but he's told me that yeah. he will. Um, so after we do our our season finale where we discuss the series in a whole talk about questions we have theories i'll probably recircle my din is going to become the new mandalore which he's already started doing guys i'm gonna be right and you know it um we are going to be blessed with a special guest in hal hickle the animation supervisor for ilm um he's the animation supervisor for the Mandalorian as a television show. He was uh, the animation supervisor for Rogue One, for Episode 2, for... Uh, I don't think he had that title in Episode 1, but he was a significant player in Episode 1. He's done Iron Man, all sorts of stuff. He's the big big boy over at uh, ILM. And he is going to be on um, an episode for this podcast where we're going to just dive deep into what it's like to make the Mandalorian. We can openly, we, when he comes on, we'll openly be able to talk about season two, be able to ask him about Luke's face, about uh, Grogu being a little bit more uh, CGI this season, all that kind of stuff. So be pretty exciting. Dope. So be on the lookout for that. We don't have a release date yet because he has to let the, uh, he has to be able to legally talk about it from a PR standpoint. So yeah, um, That'll be coming up in the next several weeks. All right, folks. We hope you enjoyed the finale as much as we do. We hope that you love Din and the Child and are concerned about their future as much as we are. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Toodaloo. This is the way and all that. <laughs> <laughs>